Late bloomer. Paul McCartney's solo career didn't really take off until he was 28 after he quit his day job working for the Beatles. Untitled Beatles podcast. Well, welcome to the Untitled Beatles podcast. I'm Tony Mendoza. And I'm TJ. I got to make this quick, so we'll see you next week on the Untitled <laughs> Beatles podcast. Thanks, Tony. Like and subscribe. No, th- this one won't be quick because it's another 50th anniversary special. Yeah, we can't we can't escape these 50s, man. 50 years since Easy Rider, and today we're going to talk all about... Is it 50? Did I just make that up? Was Easy Rider 70 or uh, 69? No, I think Easy Rider was in the 60s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, 69, pretty sure. Just got you to say 69, <laughs> dude. Got me. Um, <laughs> we're, well, we're going to talk about McCartney. So it's not the 50th anniversary of McCartney's first solo album, but it did come out 50 years ago and some change. Back in April, it came out. Yeah. But with the upcoming McCartney 3 coming out, we thought we would do McCartney... McCartney 2, and then when McCartney 3 comes out and we get a chance to hear it, we'll, uh, we'll do that one. And McCartney 2 might be a two-parter, I just have to say, because <laughs> when, when we get to check my machine, all, all bets are off. <laughs> you know, oh, I'll, we'll do, I'll save it for We'll save, it, save for it for McCartney 2, two because <laughs> M- McCartney 2, uh, which we're going to get to uh, next week, I believe, McCartney 2 is one of those albums that everyone hated in 1980 and now is like, you know, it was experimental and sonically interesting, and McCartney was really pushing. People hated that album in 1980, but it shows you yeah. that time plus legend equals re-remembering history. So I'm excited to plow into that. But first, the album that kicked off Paul McCartney's solo career. Well, actually, TJ, that's the Family Way soundtrack. I'm not referring <laughs> to that. I'm referring, of course, to the album McCartney, which began, Tony, in the shadow of controversy because... Paul came out and said, I'm releasing this before Let It Be. And the other Beatles were like, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah, man. Why are you going to compete with with our last album to be released? And Paul's like, because I'm out. Because I don't give a fuck. I'm done. Yeah. Yeah, this was a very kind of dark time for Paul when he was making this record. Uh, yeah, so it, it, it came out, per Paul's wishes, April 17th of 1970, like Ringo's album had just been released in March, right? And then Let It Be was supposed to be released, was it in May, I think? Yeah. Right. And so they were saying like, hey, can you just put your record out in June because it's going to affect sales of Let It Be? And basically McCartney, yeah, said no. In fact, yeah, no. In fact, there was a, Ringo delivered a, a letter. They worded it out. George Harrison, I believe, wrote a letter saying like, hey, can you just wait? Sorry. And Krishna, thank you. <laughs> and Ringo hand delivered it to Paul to his house. And I guess it was a really, it was a wild moment because Paul like flipped out on him and told him to like, get your coat, get out of my house. And just, he was furious and, and it affected Ringo for they weren't they weren't on good terms for a little while after that. I think Paul doing that to Ringo is what made Boku a Blues such a rough album. <laughs> I was born in Louisiana and all right, Ringo. <laughs> I see me a man who's lonely wants only to lose. Boku's a blues. 
but in fairness, the first solo Beatles album, Sentimental Journey, is one that many people thought would be like the Zeppelin II of solo Beatles <laughs> records. The fuck are we talking about right now? Um, but yeah, so that that was hugely uh, controversial. Paul released his own Q&A press release before the McCartney album came out yeah. that at the time was very caustic. Paul, we got to remember, for two years now, had been told by the other Beatles... We're going with Alan Klein. You got to stick with us. We're going to give him 30%. And Paul McCartney, his whole big thing, and he just says in the anthology, he goes, I kept saying, we're a big act. We'll give him 10%. Tell Alan Klein to fuck off. And they're like, no, we got to do this. So McCartney had felt bullied by John, George, and Ringo for so long that, yeah, he just wanted, he wanted his independence with this album. And this album one could argue was an inauspicious debut from Paul McCartney from which he kept spinning wheels for a few more years until he finally hit gold with Band on the Run. And as great of an album as Ram was, which followed McCartney, and as much as you and I both adore Wildlife and Red Rose Speedway, Paul could not find critical acclaim until Band on the Run. And when you reassess his early albums leading up to it that began with this one, you realize how short-sighted and stupid the press was in the 70s because all these albums have incredible merit to them. It's a good record. It's a fun record, and it's very different. I, I, I mean, I, I see, I guess, both sides of it, as we are now all forced to do, but I, I actually do. Like, in listening to this record again, I, I, I do get why people were like, you broke up the Beatles for this? <laughs> like, you know, there's like three or four songs that are un, unfinished, you know what I mean? You know, just as a record, if you take it out of context, just as a record... It's enjoyable. It's 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 groovy and it's cool and it, it's experimental. And it was kind of the first of its kind to do this, to put out like lo-fi demo quality songs, unfinished. You know, I know the Beatles dabbled that with unfinished a little bit with things like Maggie Mae and the, the Dig It or whatever. And even like uh, Can You Take Me Back from the White Album is kind of an unfinished song. Um, so I, I see where the inspiration comes from, but when he, I think it was that Q and A that really did it, that caustic vibe. Peter Brown said you're putting a record out, so you'll need to do publicity. So I said, I'll tell you what, why don't you do some questions for me, and I'll do a Q and A, and then you can use that, make that into a press release, and I'll just do it. Are you gonna miss George Martin or Ringo? No. <laughs> Not particularly or whatever, you know, and basically and like, are the Beatles through? And he's like, oh, I'm not sure they're kind of through. Probably. Are you are you ever going to work with John again? No, I don't see that happening. So it's this kind of defiant. There was a defiance about this record. And because, yeah, because these songs are aren't all finished and stuff, I, I see why people were like, what? <laughs> and we, we look at Plastic Ono Band as being this cathartic, caustic record. But when you look at McCartney. Yes, it's certainly sunnier than Plastic Ono Band, but yeah. McCartney was in the throes of alcoholism. Yeah. He was depressed. He felt alone. And a lot of that primal negativity, while not Janov-esque uh, the way Plastic Ono Band is, comes through in this album. One of the songs that didn't make it, or a snippet of it did, is a song called Suicide. Right, right. Which is, uh, you know, it's a song he'd had for many, many years, but it's just this dark, almost discordant show tune Yeah, that a snippet of which made it on here, but we'll go track by track, but before we do one, and you always give facts on the albums. Uh, yeah, I've got before some. You get, before you get into that, I want to just say 
this album, I think, has always held special consideration to McCartney because he's done an inordinate number of these songs live, most notably on the Unplugged record, um, which I think, when did he record Unplugged? 91? Yeah. 92? I think right it was 91. There? 91. Uh, a ton of these songs made their way to Unplugged, yeah. which to me always showed not just that the songs lent themselves to that format, but that so unplugged is ninety one. This album seventy. So twenty one years later, he still really held on to the creation and formation of these songs. So I've always uh, unplugged. I think maybe consider this album in even higher esteem, given that Paul apparently did too. Yeah, the themes of this record, in his words, were home, family, and love. That was kind of yeah. There's like a domestic feel. Yeah, he was really down. So. I think it was in September of 69 when Lennon was kind of saying, like, I want a divorce from the Beatles, but I'm going to keep a brave face while we keep going. I think that really... And then John and Paul wrote my brave face from that (laughs) moment. (laughs) And Elvis Costello took credit for it. Declan McManus, I mean. (laughs) Nice. Nice. (laughs) I thought his real name was Gordon Shumway. (laughs) (laughs) Gordon Shumway fills your heart. <laughs> I did have an, one of those ALF uh, 45s that you could cardboard 45s. Anyway, I had like four of them. Anyway, I think he got him at Burger King or whatever. Anyway. No, I didn't come here looking for trouble. I'm just here doing the alien shuffle. <laughs> Where you get all your music and Garfield glasses, Burger King. <laughs> So McCartney moves up to Scotland for two months in his farm, and uh, yeah, he's this is where he's dealing with his depression, and he's just married Linda not too long ago, and Linda says, "Wow, this is the darkest I've ever seen him." Like you said, he was, um, yeah, he was hitting the sauce, right? And it was dark, and uh, luckily he turned to songwriting, I believe, with the the helpful push from Linda, you know, as a way to get out of it. And he came up with all these songs. They were mostly recorded at his home in St. John's Wood on a Studer four-track. It should be noted that he didn't have a mixing desk while he was doing a lot of this. Um, So there's no view meters. You can't see, like, how loud you're playing or, like, you know, so we'd have to record and... um, he also did some studio work at Morgan Studios and at Abbey Road, which is where he did a, a few, three of the songs. And when he booked these sessions, he, he kept it very private. And he, in fact, had a pseudonym, which was Billy Martin. L- L- later went on to manage the Yankees. <laughs> right. No, that, is, that is the reference. <laughs> right. That is right. the reference. Right. Yeah. Right. And uh, I don't know if you knew this, TJ, but there was a, a young assistant engineer there named George Brett who he... He kicked out of the sessions for putting too much pine tar on his drumsticks. <laughs> I had to do it. <laughs> no, he, he actually, this is uh, more trivia on this. Don Mattingly plays drums on Kareen Akrore. <laughs> Six feet, first base. Uh, Johnny baseball, right? <laughs> that's right, throws right. Uh, <laughs> Yankees couldn't win shit till they dumped that idiot. <laughs> I love I love mocking Yankees fans with that bit of trivia. Couldn't win a World Series with Donnie baseball, could you? <laughs> but <that> also, <laughs> uh, uh, Derek Jeter was on steroids. Sorry, go on. <laughs> 
Um, I think that's what I got. That's what I got for my facts. Well, here's one more fact for you, Tony. This is an album, and we'll get to Maybe I'm Amazed, which is on side two of this. No singles were released from this record. Yeah. Everybody thinks Maybe I'm Amazed is is one of the... Uh, I'm, I'll save this for when we get to it in the song, but I don't think it's a spoiler to say one of the single greatest Paul McCartney compositions of all time. And there was a single released in 76 from the Wings Over America soundtrack. Right. But Maybe I'm Amazed was not released as a single. And in fact, as crazy as this is, the uh, two McCartney compilations that defined the 70s and 80s, Wings Greatest and All the Best, Maybe I'm Amazed was not on either record. So somehow this yeah, legendary McCartney song was left off two Paul McCartney Greatest Hits compilations. Yeah, that doesn't make any sense. I mean, it's no good night tonight. <laughs> Which I like, but yeah. 20 minutes later, all right, don't say it. I'm not going to. <laughs> you know, I mean, now say come on. Now say come on. Now say good night. Like, how's that on there? But not me. So I've never really understood it. It's nice like some lost track, but this album had no singles. This album wasn't, I didn't, I don't think this album went to number one. It did. I, I don't. It did. In the oh, U.S. Did. Okay. In the U.S. it went to number one. Uh, I think it was up there for three weeks on Billboard and then Let okay. It Be knocked it out. That's, you're right. Let Thank It Be you. was the Engelberg humperdink to the McCartney record. That's right. Because was it Release Me that held out Penny Lane? I think no. so. What did Release yeah, yeah, right. I think that's right, what right. that was, yeah. <laughs> the Beatles are done. Humperdink has got the top spot. <laughs> so let's, I mean, let's get into this album. This yeah. album is... I think I think it's grown over time. I think it has at least two McCartney classics. It's got a, several throwaway songs, but revisiting this record again, I did my usual different pressings listen. Um, oh, cool! And you know, there's I think the best vinyl pressing. I have a an original Apple. I have a Columbia reissue, and then I have the um, the archive collection. The archive collection is really good. They really cleaned up the the vinyl. Nice to sound pretty stunning. But yeah, this uh, how much do you clean up a lo-fi album? So it's not yeah. like the pressings differ that that greatly. But yeah, let's start. Side one kicks off with a song about his new bride, the lovely Linda. Yeah, it's cool. In fact, that's her. That that squeak at the very top of the song is uh, it's a door, and that's Linda coming in. I thought Paul was murdering a hamster. Are you <laughs> sure? <laughs> and that's what began his vegetarianism quest. Yeah, he hit a real rock bottom. <laughs> and he hung out at Rock Bottom Brewery. I mean, when you want a local flavor in your town, start off a rock bottom, go to a cheesecake factory, and then find a hooker. That's what you do when you're a businessman. That's it. It sounds like a night on Rush Street, man. <laughs> <laughs> That's a Chicago reference for y'all. Um, a night on Rush Street, by the way, is my favorite solo Neil Pert album. <laughs> <laughs> Well, the lovely Linda. It's a short song. In fact, it's I think it's the shortest Paul McCartney solo song. Uh, he described it as a trailer for a longer version uh, of which has yet to to come after fifty years. 
It'll be a bonus track on the pink version of McCartney <laughs> 3, but you got to buy nine colored versions to get the bonus tracks. Why is Frank Sinatra's party every bonus track on every McCartney album now? I don't understand it. Well, it's yeah. A my, my mom, God rest her soul, she died this year. Her name was Linda. So oh, I didn't this know is that. one that I always think about my mom. Uh, my wife's mother's Linda, who's fortunately still with us. So oh, I've had a couple cool. Lindas in my life. And I really didn't get to know this album until the CD came out, I think in 87 or 88. This and Ram came out on Capitol on CD at the same time. And when some McCartney album was being issued on CD when he was still with Columbia, it took for his Columbia contract to end, I think in 85, his contract with Columbia ended. He signed back with EMI, and then with by 87, 88, his solo catalog was being released on Capitol CDs. And the first time I heard this on CD was really the first time I ever heard the song in 87 or whatever it was. And I always associate this with my mom. So it's a really nice kind of lovely way to start the album. And when you hear it, you don't know that Linda's going to be providing harmonies on this album. Yeah. As the album progresses, which we can get into this as we go, Tony. But for all the shit John took for letting Yoko on her albums, Paul was doing the same thing, and I think it was unfair to John that John got all the criticism for incorporating Yoko when Paul on this. And Ram, which was attributed to Paul and Linda McCartney, yeah. I don't think it's fair to mock Yoko's presence with Plastic Ono Band and leave Paul alone. I think to both bring their wives in was kind of beautiful in retrospect. Oh, it's definitely beautiful. And I would say that Paul... Got some shit for having Linda sing on 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 some of those records. True. So he didn't come out of it, you know, without any arrows in his what's the term in his armor chinks in it. I don't like. Well, I'm not going to say that. <laughs> Streaks on the china, never matter before. Who cares when you drop keg jacket? <laughs> Folks, how many of our listeners know that Paul wrote the Mister Belvedere theme? Um, Oh, I should say that my artistic partner, her name is Linda. So yes, yeah, and she's amazing too. Yeah, we all have we all have Lindas in our lives. This was a test recording. This song, that's why it's a, an unfinished thing. He was just testing it out, and he thought it would be a good way to uh, open the record. And it's cool; it breaks down with a laugh. It it sets the tone. That's for sure. That like, oh, this is just going to be <laughs> interesting. It starts sounding like a tape's been spliced at the wrong place, which is it's an abrupt beginning and a laughing ending, yeah. which I think is very disarming. It's very smart because Paul produced this album. It's very smart of him to know that to start it that way lets you know that the what you're about to experience is not Abbey Road. Right, right, exactly. And so Lovely Linda was the first song technically recorded for the record, and the second song was the second one. Uh, that would be something. This is a great one. This is one that... Paul's vocalization of a drum kit has always just been an earworm to me because it it works. <laughs> yeah, I my note is non drummer drumming. I just I just hear a non drummer drumming. Are you calling Paul? I think Paul's a great. Now you're a drummer, so I trust, I'm a drummer. I trust your and I was a drummer in high school. Like I played drums. In, oh, I didn't know that. Well, yeah, because there was always my bands in high school, like high school bands. Went with the piano players who could read music, which I couldn't do. Right. So right. I was kind of Paul inspired to sit behind a drum set and just bash and thrash and hope for the best. And there's some great drumming on this album. Paul's had great drumming with the Beatles. Paul drummed all throughout Band on the Run. Are you anti-Paul as a drummer? 
Did I just set you up to shit on drummer Paul? (laughs) Not at all. Not at all. I'm talking about this specific song. So, right. Let's, let's, what is it? Uh, Back in the USSR, Dear Prudence. Um, He plays drums on something else. Obviously, why don't we do it in the road? Um, Come and get it. Come and get it. The demo. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. I forgot about that one. Yeah. And, um, Ballad of John and Yoko. Good drumming. Yeah. Which is great drumming yeah. on that. Now he's got he's got a good feel. So here's here's what it breaks down to. Every time he hits the cymbal, there's no um drum underneath it. You, uh, so it's a choice. It's charming, right? He's got one mouth. What do you want him to do? Hold on. One mouth. I'm, I'm very confused. Okay, so you're telling me that the I hear so the, the drums, those aren't drums on this record? That's his mouth? I, honest to God, I've not researched this, but I've always thought he's making those sounds with his mouth. I always said that was Paul drumming with his mouth. But the actual much like, drum sound. Much like Ringo's drumming is my madness, Paul's drumming is my mouth. All right, I'm, let me go, let me, I'm going on right now. because we <laughs> In real time, let's do this. Drum. Let's research some Beatle facts. It's why we don't do this show live. Um, oh, my God. Here we go. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> God damn it. All I'm getting are these stupid Rolling Stone articles. I want like the... Here we go. That would be something. Wikipedia. Here we go. <laughs> Personnel. Paul McCartney, vocals, guitar, bass, guitar, tom-tom, cymbal, vocal percussion. Okay, so we're both right. We're both right. Okay. I'm, okay. I'm talking about the tom-tom and the cymbal. That's the stuff that sounds like, the, oh, that is a non-drummer drumming. It has an amateurish charm to it. That would be something, really would be something. That would be something. Beach in the falling rain, mama. Beach in the falling rain. As a drummer, for me, every time I hear a cymbal hit without like a bass drum or even a floor tom hit underneath it to give it that oomph, it just sounds like, oh, this is a a student or something, you know? And you were a big fan of the 80s synth group, the Tom Tom Club, right? (laughs) That's a Talking Heads spinoff, right? Wasn't that? I'm pretty sure. Or was that the Breakfast Club? <laughs> which which one did you identify with, TJ? Were you did you in Breakfast Club? Uh, I was a, a little bit Ali Sheedy, a little bit Molly Ringwald, and a lot of that that fucking gym teacher who came in and <laughs> started talking shit. That's who I wanted to be that Reagan esque asshole. <laughs> what did you want to be when you were young? When I was a kid, I wanted to be John Lennon. Carl, don't be a goof. I liked Breakfast Club. That one, that one, out of all those Hughes movies, that's the one I liked the best. Who do you identify with in Breakfast Club? Uh, probably Ali Sheedy, I guess. But I mean, I was not that, never that overt. Like sometimes I could be Ali Sheedy. You know what I mean? You didn't have sugar in your hair, <laughs> right? Sugar in the morning, sugar in the evening. <laughs> I was probably a combo of Ali Sheedy and Judd. I almost said Judd Hirsch and Judd Hirsch. <laughs> Yeah, I um, <laughs> I, I I wanted to be Emilio Estevez, but I can't bend press fifteen pounds. Yeah, so I'm I was not never a, that yeah. guy. 
That wasn't the joke. Anyhow, we, we, I guess we digress, but, uh, yeah. Hey, the Grateful Dead covered this song from like 91 till like the end. Well, 95 till the end of Jerry, I should say. Not only that, but by virtue of Bruce Hornsby playing with the dead, I got a bootleg of Bruce Hornsby doing a solo cover of this really? on, to- on tour in the 90s. Bruce Hornsby covered Paul a couple times. I've got him doing this. I've got him doing I've Just Seen a Face. Um, but it's interesting because Bruce Hornsby played piano with the dead. I'm a big Bruce Hornsby fan, and I feel, oh, I can't say that without... <laughs> I can't can't mention his name without doing that. Um <laughs> But yeah, uh, Bruce Hornsby's whole career changed following uh, when he played with the Dead when after Brett Midland died, because he was so influenced by what the Dead were doing that his solo shows, like Bruce Hornsby, was doing things like Sugary and Jack Straw and other kind of Dead stuff as well. So yeah, the Dead loved this song. Uh, the Dead covered a few Beatles songs. I got Jerry doing Eleanor Rigby. I've got one of Jerry Garcia doing a really shitty Saw Her Standing There. <laughs> I think it, uh, the maybe the Run for the Roses album okay. from 80, 82. I'm not 80, a dead guy, so yeah, I am almost the an- antithesis of a dead guy. <laughs> well, here's the thing about Bruce Hornsby, though. Like, I thought he was great, but then he put out that Q&A interview and he broke up the range and I couldn't forgive him after that. But 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 did you see the when the range and the news went on tour? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah, the, 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 and this one was also done on Paul McCartney's Unplugged record in a not real inspiring version that almost sounds like Paul was kind of coloring by numbers, so to speak. Yeah. Um, George liked this. This is song. one that Paul did for Unplugged. Jo- one of the only ones that George liked. Yeah. He, George singled out two songs he liked when this record came out. This one doesn't, it do, that would be something. This one doesn't do that much something for me as a song. Uh, nor does the next one, Valentine Day. One of four instrumentals, three instrumentals? I didn't count how many uh, instrumentals are on here. Too many. No, no. Uh, I like this. I do like this record. But Valentine Day is not one of my favorites. I just have, I've written down screwing around one man band practice. Yeah, that's this is that's what a, a few songs on this album sound like, and there's a reason Valentine Day. There's an instrumental we're going to get to pretty soon that Paul revived later in his career. Valentine Day is one of those songs that you don't, you know, maybe you hear at four in the morning on the Beatles XM Sirius <laughs> channel, but like, yeah, right. No, you don't. I mean, it's it's. But uh, where I give Paul a pass is. If John's allowed... Now, granted, Plastic Ono Band is a more uniformly perfect album than McCartney. I'm not comparing the two. But I can't give John a pass for working out his emotions and his indulgences and not give Paul a pass for it. It's the reason I dismiss some of the jammy, demo-y bullshit on this record because Paul was figuring things out in real time. And maybe if he hadn't done the bullshit stuff, we wouldn't get an every night or maybe I'm amazed.
So yeah, it's for me, the next song, Every Night, is the first proper song on this record. Yeah. And it's one of my favorites. Track it's, four. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, four, four songs in, we finally get one. But uh, yeah, I like this song a lot. This one makes my, my maca mixes. Yeah, and this is one... A couple facts for you on this one, Tony. This is one that he also did for the Unplugged uh, album and kind of gave the song life. He did it in the 1979 tour of Scotland. Um, So he revived it for that. One of the few songs that he revived from this album for that tour brought it out again in 91 for Unplugged. He's done it a couple times since with his new band, but... This is one of those near McCartney classics, one of my favorites ever. And it was also used on an episode of WKRP in Cincinnati, <laughs> which used a total of three Beatles songs in its four year run. I'm, wow. da- I'm Down was used in season one. And the minute that show went to syndication in 82, you never heard it again. You've got to, you cannot find I'm Down opening an episode of KRP. Anywhere except a, like a distant bootleg online because it never even made reruns in the states. Wow! So that's one. Right. And the uh, and uh, here comes the sun was used in the same episode as every night is an episode a, a great one where it's called Out to Lunch where Herb Tarlick the salesman of the station starts to wine and dine an advertising exec played by Craig T Nelson. Oh, of for, Coach of Coach. This is a few years before that. Right. Um, and uh, they get drunk in a bar late night in Cincinnati and every night plays. And then here comes the sun starts to play as they're leaving the bar. Here comes the sun has been scrubbed from the DVD. But every night, if you buy the DVD remains when Frank oh, Bonner cool. as Herb and Craig T. Nelson as this guy, Charlie uh, Bathwaite, are getting shit faced. It's an episode about alcoholism on WKRP. And at any rate, this song oh. made the cut and it survives in the DVD. So this would have been 81 when that episode was shot and aired. So little WKRP trivia for the four people listening who remember that fucking show. <laughs> My favorite show of all time. So this is one of the songs that he did not record at home. This was recorded at Abbey Road in um, February of 1970, uh, along with Maybe I'm Amazed and Man We Was Lonely. So uh, this came later in the album's gestation, or whatever you want to call Three it. Three of the best songs on... The, by the way, Egypt Gestation, one of the great Paul McCartney <laughs> albums. Uh, uh, is that like I the mean- lullaby <laughs> version you play for here? <laughs> <laughs> Expectant mothers. The the version of junk is too harsh, so we'll play the lullaby <laughs> version of junk. Um, but those three songs you mentioned, "Man, We Was Lonely Every Night," "Maybe I'm Amazed," are three of the best songs on the album. So that makes sense. They record in a professional studio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got to give that studio some uh, some props. I think yeah. it kind of it saved the record. Um, unless you want a real just plain old curiosity, you know. Well, and I would say seek out the unplugged version of this. Because he, uh, Hamish Stewart of Average White Band, what a terrible name for a, a group, by the way. Pick up the pieces of whoever, whoever fucking named that band. Um, Hamish Stewart has an incredible voice. 
And he and Paul do in the harmonies, there's an acapella section in the unplugged version. It's one of the highlights of that whole unplugged exercise. So the, there, there's some great versions of this floating around, including the um, last flight bootleg of the of the uh, I think Glasgow concert in '79, December of '79, in fact, because they did Wonderful Christmas Time. Um, but it's worth seeking out. This is one of the near McCartney classics that should be on any respectable McCartney compilation. Yeah, man, good song. Then we got a song that he dusted off from the late 50s. Hot as sun slash glasses. Hot as sunglasses. Is it a play on words? Is it like the precursor to cheap sunglasses? Is Paul McCartney just looking for a little tush? (laughs) (laughs) I ain't asking for much. (laughs) Lord, take me downtown. Those dudes. Some tush, not a little tush. Anyway, I got my ZZ Top incorrect, but... uh, yeah, he wrote this in either 58 or 59 to his recollection. I like it. I think it's catchy. I wish it didn't get cut off. <laughs> I would have liked to have heard the rest of it. But then it gets weird because you go from glasses into the uncredited suicide. And yeah. glasses feels weird and spacey. This is another one, Tony. Paul dusted this off for that same tour of Scotland. And there's like a live version that sounds like it's more Calypso-y and upbeat. Yep. Like yeah. the live version's a little even more cheesy. I mean, God bless <laughs> it. Finally, you get to hear Steve Holly playing drums on this song. If you've ever really wanted Lawrence Juber and Steve Holly on their take on Hot, on Hot as Sun. But yeah, Paul, nine years later, brought this out for his tour of Scotland again. So that's two songs, Every Night in Hot as Sun already, that Paul brought out nine years later. He didn't bring out Uncle Albert. He didn't bring out With a Little Luck. He didn't right. bring out Another Day Another at the time. Another Day, right, right. There's all these songs, and he's bringing Every Night and Hot as Sun out. So, yeah, he thought enough of this to do it in that last tour before it got busted for uh, for weed in 
But uh, yeah, man, uh, this one's weird. Uh, it's most interesting because it goes into that cut of suicide, a song I think he offered to Sinatra or was going yeah. to offer to Sinatra. And it's a terrible song. It's, it's, yeah. It sounds like the Monty Python Ruddles <laughs> imitation of McCartney. Yeah, you're oh, right. Ruddle. It's 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 bad, Paul. And I love. I'm a Paul apologist. This is bad. Yeah, yeah. If you if you listen to the uh, the remaster and all that, you can hear "Suicide." It's one of the bonus tracks. Yeah, it's just him on a piano. Um, yeah, I was like, oh, is this how Paul's like processing depression? You know, because he was depressed during this time. Is he, you know, turning it into a performance? Is he getting into a a comfy spot where it's uh, comedy? But yeah, he did offer it to Sinatra. I, I don't know how Sinatra reacted. Paul seems to think that Sinatra maybe felt like he was being trolled. <laughs> Which I love. <laughs> if when she tries to run away, ooh, and it goes bad, she comes. If there's a next time, she'll hide away because she's under both his thumbs. But yeah, not one of my favorites. I I remember before hearing it, seeing the song title and just being like, ooh, what is what is this? And and um if I'm not mistaken, um Linda's first husband ended up committing suicide. Um, but I think that was much later. Tony, I don't know how to break this to you, man. <laughs> suicide is painless. Cue the helicopter <laughs> sound effects. What the f- <laughs> Have you ever heard the vocal uh, version of that? No, there's words? Yeah, it, to the it's match great. Theme? Come on, it's great. It's great. I think it's in the original um, Altman film. It, it's it's very sixties. It's very cause suicide is painless. <laughs> the game of life is hard to play. I'm gonna lose it anyway. The losing card I'll someday lay. This is all I have to say. Suicide is painless. Suicide. It brings on many changes. changes. And I can take or leave it if I please. Yeah, so that's, uh, that's where Sinatra, by the way, famous for calling something the greatest love song ever written. By John Lennon and Paul McCartney. <laughs> yeah, his favorite Lennon McCartney song. <laughs> it all brings us back to Frank Sinatra's party. Fee five fo fum. I'm not nope. the only. Don't ask why I know it. Because I collected the bonus tracks of Egypt Station because I'm a terrible <laughs> husband and father. <laughs> Some would call that stuff, TJ, junk. 
See what I did there? Ew. Transition. <laughs> Transition. Yeah. Like I said, I went to the Columbia School of Broadcasting, so that's what we call a segue. I went to the Columbia Record House, so I uh, I got 12 CDs for a petty and go fuck yourself. All 12 were Aerosmith's pump. <laughs> <laughs> Only cost you a penny though, <laughs> and and a ruined credit. But and I, I, I resold them at Reckless. I had to pay them ten dollars. Please take my copy of Jagged Little Pill. So you're on your way to buy some music albums. How much money do you have? Only a penny. You're kidding. That won't buy a thing at the store. But here, open this gold box. Just one penny buys one, two. Three, keep going. Thirteen tapes or thirteen records of your choice when you join the Columbia Record and Tape Club. The new TV guide has this announcement ad. Well, junk is, this is one of my favorites. Me too. And in fact, the, the first version I ever heard of this was on a, uh, a Beatles bootleg. It was the Esher demo version when it was, it was called Jubilee, or at least that's how it was labeled on the bootleg. And uh, I've always loved this song. So when I f- when I finally heard like oh a you know a quote proper version, which was <laughs> also recorded at home, right. <laughs> uh, just not George Harrison's home, <laughs> right? Right, a different Beatles house. Uh, I love it, and I love that there's two versions uh, of this song. In fact, I think I actually prefer uh, later on the sing along junk because I love the sound of a mellotron. Um, but I love this song. And I also love that it's just, I love that it's called Junk. It's like one of the most pretty songs in my estimation, in his in his catalog. And it's called Junk, Garbage, Trash. And the lyrics reflect it. Motor cars, handlebars, bicycles for two, parachutes, army boots, sleeping bags for two. I mean, it's, yeah, it's not one of his greatest lyrical exercises, but it's one of the most beautiful songs he ever wrote. And it's another song, Sing Along Junk, closed out the Unplugged album. Right. So this is now another song that made its way to Unplugged 21 years after the release of this album. So it can't be a coincidence that Paul was holding on to all these songs for so long. This is three songs from Side One and McCartney made MTV Unplugged, which is which is crazy. This is one, to your point, that was written in India. One of the reasons I love the one with words, the nonsensical words, this song ends his little guitar figure. I'm not a guitar player. This his guitar figure sounds like a Simon and Garfunkel yeah. tribute, which is haunting because 1970, I think Bridge Over Troubled Water, the album oh, came right. out. Yeah. And there's there's all this mapping where Let It Be was an attempt to be Bridge Over Troubled Water or and in a kind of being inspired by it. So we talk a lot about the push and pull between the Beatles and the Beach Boys. But Paul was going through it with Paul Simon in the late 60s through 1970. And that's what's so kind of neat about the influences of these great musicians. I mean, Paul Simon, say what you will about some of the stealing from African music missteps. Paul Simon, I think, is underestimated in pop music and culture. Some of his songs are among the greatest 
ever written. And Garfunkel's harmonies and his contribution. Garfunkel may be more Oates than Hall, <laughs> but but still super valuable. <laughs> right? You know what I mean? I No, I know exactly what you mean, but I got confused because of the sketch comedy duo. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Great. Catch their, catch their Netflix special. I wish more comedians had Netflix specials. <laughs> Hard enough. We need more. We need more of those. What's the deal with airplane food, right? <laughs> we need, I would love, I would love to see, yeah, I would love to see a, an 80s comic. I'd love to see that return, that style of gimmicky, stupid, uh, populist. Well, was Andrew Dice Clay comedy. funny to you when you were 14, or was he never funny to you? Because he was funny to me when I was 14. Well, I always associated him with these dirtbags on, on my school bus ride to uh, <laughs> to school, and therefore I did not find them him funny. I just saw like these scary guys that could kick my ass saying, like, Little Miss Tubbard and the, whatever the fuck it was. Rover took over. She got a bone of her. It's pretty obnoxious. In retrospect, yeah. I hate myself for it, but... And I was no bully. I was the guy who was funny no. to not be bullied. Right. Well, me too. Me too. Yeah, for sure. But there are a few individuals that uh, didn't find me funny. <laughs> How am I funny to you? What am I, a clown? And one of them's now a cop. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no comment. Okay, I do have a comment about defunding the police. I want to get into this. Um, uh, but, uh, do we have to. We just lost our Blue Lives listenership. <laughs> I believe in Hill Street Blues Lives. <laughs> Hill Street Blues Lives matter. Yeah, those actors' lives matter. <laughs> Look, I'm not pro cop, but I'd take a bullet for Daniel J. Travante. <laughs> Counselor? You want an open relationship? You got an open relationship. But yeah, this is um uh, j- junk is a, a beautiful song. We'll get to later with sing along junk, the instrumental, but it clearly so influenced Paul writing this to revisit it 21 years later, I think says something. He must have known how beautiful this melody was and shows the fruits of the songs they wrote in, in India. I mean yeah. When you add this and you add um, uh, Jealous Guy, which mm-hmm. was originally Child of Nature, you had two important solo songs came out of that India trip.
I'm sorry about Ringo's stomach. I'm sorry about <laughs> Cynthia being left at the station, <laughs> but it was a great trip. I think Cynthia was left behind on their first trip up the train trip where they went to see the Maharishi when Epstein died. Right. But I think she was there for India, right? Am I crazy? Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, I keep thinking of the press conference when Epstein died and the Ruddles parody of, we were shocked yeah, and stunned. <laughs> we were shocked and stunned. <laughs> like, that was a that was the Ringo moment. Though I forget <laughs> I forget what his name is. And, and, uh, Barry Wom. Barry Wom. <laughs> thank you, thank you. I said Dirk. I, I said nasty, and I said stink. You don't mean Barry, do you? And closing side one. Man, we was lonely. I, I like this one. I think a lot of people don't, but I do. I love this song, and I have always heard this song as the sadness of the Beatles being over. That's what it is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah this is him at Abbey Road with that depression in hindsight. Man, we was lonely, but he found this woman, Linda, with whom he could sing. This is their first duet, and she's yeah. bringing him out of that darkness, and he's able to look at it, you know, in the rearview mirror. It's a great song. It's simple. It's not the most profound. What it almost feels like a Great Depression folk song. You know what I mean? It's kind of got, it's got those kind of, it's got that tinted, antique type delivery. Some of the finger picking on the guitar, mm -hmm. that kind of folky guitar, some folky chords in this thing. He has a few songs that sound like this. Uh, no question. And I give Paul so much credit for ending the side with this. Because junk is such a beautiful exercise, you wonder what could come next. Man, We Was Lonely feels like a perfect side closer coming off junk. I can't, it feels easy to say because it's all you know because this album's existed for 50 years, but it feels like a masterstroke in programming the sides of an album. Yeah, yeah, he's, he, he's clever. He's clever, that one. <laughs> he, has had, he has such a sense, Paul McCartney has such a sense for commercialism uh, coupled with such such deep artistic integrity and intellect that it it's the reason that even cheesy Paul feels brilliant because he knows both angles. Yes, Paul McCartney makes cheese, but he makes the best fucking cheese you can <laughs> buy. And that's what separates McCartney. I mean, you you know, uh, I'll go toe-to-toe -to -toe on fucking press to play sure. and flowers in the dirt. Like, I, oh, I, yeah. am, I am a definitive McCartney apologist. Some of that is because it allows me the chance to criticize him. You don't need five different remixes of Oué Le Soleil <laughs> or the fucking playout edition of No More Lonely Nights in five different edits. Yeah, we are in a Beatles cult, but we're not going to jump in the volcano.
But yeah, there, there's this jaunty defiance about this song, about him being depressed and how he's going to, maybe this is what he was trying to do with suicide and, you know, he's going to dress it up and take out his depression on, uh, uh, you know, to a, to the movies, you know? And I like that. I like that. There's a, there's a strength in that. So it's almost his, I'm stepping out. Yeah. Right. Right. Maybe. <laughs> Or his like stepping that. out by Joe Jackson. <laughs> oh, it's a great song. I love that song, but it used to creep me out because there's something very creepy about it's that. It's vaguely there's. I'm going to tell you something, and this I don't. I, this may make the pot. It may not. I leave it to our editor, Tony Mendoza. <laughs> there are two songs, both you motherfucker, from a year that we love, 1982, that have vexed me musically since 1982, and those songs are. Stepping Out by Joe Jackson and Only the Lonely by the Motels both have piano or keyboard progressions that my mm. ear has never been able to figure out because they're dissonant and they're weird and they're yeah. traditional. And I've just never been able to figure out some of those Joe Jackson chord clusters and some of the, those motel. Uh, I do know the song Only the Lonely by the Motels. We walk the lonely. It's It's... It, it's vaguely early alternative female. It's not punk, but it's like vaguely alternative pop. And they both feature these dissonant minor chords I've never quite been able to figure out on piano. They vexed me Interesting. forever. Interesting. Those songs and Piano Man. <laughs> I hadn't heard that Joe Jackson song in years. And I was buying a car when I was 20. And I was re- I was like, back, this is back when buying a car, I don't know if it's still like this, but it was like an emotional struggle because I was haggling and I was this poor kid. I worked radio. I made like $14,000 a year. You know what I mean? <laughs> and I was just fucking dirt poor and I needed a car. I was taking this bus to, to work and then the bus line didn't run after <laughs> when I was done with work and I was like sleeping at the radio station and waiting for the overnight guy to take me home. Because <laughs> <laughs> you don't remember, take, take me home. <laughs> I don't think this, I don't think any of this will make it in, but I remember buying this 1990 used Toyota Tercel, which was like a box and uh four speed. <laughs> and, and I was on the verge of tears just trying to get the, the car to be like $1,000 or whatever whatever money I had. <laughs> and, and that song, I'm, in, I'm haggling with this guy in, the, in his office, and that Joe Jackson song came on, and I hadn't heard it like probably since the 80s or something. And I, it took me back to that summer of 82, and I was spent it alone, and my only friend was the goddamn radio, and then the TV for Flintstones and shit. <laughs> and... In the Brady Bunch, and like I, I think I got teared up <laughs> as I bought that car, and I bought that car that day, and I didn't get it home. I got into a wreck, and 
Wait, you, you, you didn't stop at a Potbelly's for a wreck sandwich. When you say you got into a wreck, you had a car accident. Like, uh, right, right, a car accident. Because this is in the Palm Desert, California. There were no uh, Potbellies out there. I, I would have had to have gone to a Del Taco. <laughs> By the way, that, that means of taco. <laughs> I am of Latin origin, and I never put that together, man. (laughs) Of the taco. (laughs) Anyway, thank you for listening. I I was hesitant to even tell that story because it eats up our time, but... Thank you. No, it's a great story. And Stepanat <laughs> even features the line, get into a car and drive to the other side. Fuck. We're so tired of all the darkness in our lives. With no more angry words to say. So side two kicks off with uh, uh, Uyu, Uyu, which is you know uh, I love. First of all, I love McCartney. T- I've always loved McCartney telling himself more guitar. Like you're recording it. <laughs> to whom are you, are you imagining Jeff Emmerich somewhere? <laughs> what are you? <laughs> yeah, I mean maybe there was an early version of this uh, album where he's like, oh, this will be Sergeant Pepper Part Two, and. You know, Billy Shears is playing <laughs> right, right. guitar and Peter Frampton is playing me. <laughs> Which is just a much better. I mean, we've talked many times that the Sgt. Pepper film improves upon the Beatles album. <laughs> Nothing like George Martin's tacky 70s orchestrations. <laughs> I love it. The, what a master of taste in every other project. Even songs by the band America sound great under George Martin's direction. <laughs> Uh, the band America is basically George Martin saying, sound like George Harrison and I'll produce you. <laughs> and it, and it worked. That slide guitar and all that shit. But yeah, yeah. Yeah. U- U- U is a is a trifle and not the strongest Paul McCartney song. It's inoffensive. It's a bit of a rock out. It doesn't say anything. It doesn't mean anything. And it kicks off side two a bit inauspiciously. I'll put it that way. Yeah. Uh, I think the thing I like about this song is the the spelling of the song. So <laughs> that's what I like about it. You mean two O's? <laughs> yeah. <or laughs> yeah. He instead of <laughs> O O H, it's O O U. But that's O U if it's O O H, right? Or O U. I see that as ooh. Don't you put an H on your ooze? My ooze usually E W, or that's ew. Yeah, that's ew. Ew, you is a different song. <laughs> that, that's what he wrote later about Heather Mills is ew, you. <laughs> Do you remember the story that went around like Paul McCartney, one of the nicest people in the history of pop culture? It was like tonight on Entertainment Tonight, uh, 2002 edition. Did Paul McCartney beat Heather Mills with her own leg? That's next on Entertainment Tonight. Right. <laughs> remember when that was like a big fucking like. Dude, I think Paul McCartney beat his wife with her own leg. I'm like, what the f- who, who 
are you talking about? Yeah. Yeah. I think Heather Mills had a tendency to uh, distort the truth. If I think we ended up learning that one, right? Yeah. Uh, all you got to do is listen to Riding to Vanity Fair from the Chaos and Creation album to know all you need to know about the Heather yeah. Mills McCartney. Uh, and then the other thing about OU is that I think he uses a, a can of aerosol spray as a... So technically, this song is bad for the environment. I just had to point that out. Yeah, but in fairness, Linda used to fart. <laughs> used to. <laughs> I like that she gave it up. <laughs> well, I, by ram, she was taking Prilosec. <laughs> Yeah, then, so then the next song is Mama Miss America. And uh, yeah, this is another instrumental thing, right? Rock and roll springtime is what he announces at the beginning of it, the original title of it. Right. And it's it's like two different songs in two different keys. Yes. It's one of those, it's a little like Hot as Sun in the Glasses, where it's just like, you hear the tape splice at like, what, two minutes in or something like that. Yeah. And then becomes a whole different song for the next minute and a half or so. It, it's... It sounds like something that should have wound up on the Beatles anthology, not a formal McCartney album. Yeah, I feel like this is his 12-bar original. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I, I will take... Okay, what you can pick one song. <laughs> Mama Miss America or 12-bar original. Which one do you take? Oh. I'm taking this one. I'm taking the first half of this one, the first song. <laughs> I don't like the second song. I, I I don't either, but let's both give credit for the fact this one doesn't have the wailing harmonica of 12-bar original. Yeah. You know there's like a seven-minute version of that, right? 12-bar original. It's it's my generation's carnival of life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And the tempo is all over the place. His drumming is it's very strange. That's my note, too. Paul's drumming with a question mark. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. This is this is him saying like, "Hey, I'm gonna put this uh, nutty record out." It's I think it's him toying with us a little bit. Yeah, trolling, if you will. Unless you have anything else about Miss America, I will say the next song, and uh, Tony, I will. We say this every week. I say this every show. I love Paul. I, I, I'm a Paul apologist to the point where I believe that the single version of Press to Play's "Only Love Remains" <laughs> is better than the album version. I'm fucking weird, and this is one of my least favorite songs. Really? And whether it's the Glenn Johns version or the Phil Spector version. Or this version, this song makes me feel the way Maxwell Silverhammer made John and George feel. Oh, wow. Teddy Boy drives me 
crazy oh. it, in the worst possible way. That is so funny. Drives me nuts. I mean, I get it. it, it, it there is a there is an annoying quality about this song, and, and <laughs> yes, I know what you mean. But I actually like the the chord progression in the verse. There's something I like about the the little detour it takes off of like what would normally be a four four kind of like a, oh I think I know where this song is going. He's like oh he takes me somewhere unexpected, and I've always enjoyed that. I think what what I always hear John Lennon mocking the song with his square dancing routine. The do si stuff, yeah, yeah the, and on the anthology, yeah. Right, right, which we finally got to hear on anthology. And so I always hear that in there, which does, it kind of taints it a little bit. Is there an Isher version of this? I don't think I've heard that. I don't know if there's an Isher version or not. Because it was, it was written in India in 68. It was. The version I've heard is on the Glenn John's Let It Be compilation, and then Phil Spector made yeah. a mix of it as well that wasn't that different, that at least has the benefit of the other Beatles playing on it. But yeah, I mean, this song, you know, it, it's it's inane. It's Uncle Albert Admiral Halsey without the balls. It just, I mean, uh, the chorus, yeah. you're right, the verse is interesting. The chorus that descending... Just as always, for the first time I heard the song, driven me fucking crazy. Like, I pick Morse Moose and the Grey Goose over this. I pick. Is that like a Rupert the Bear thing? I think. Is that the last song on London Town? Oh, is that okay? Jeez, deep. Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes I don't know my Macca that well. You, you know your Macca. Just it's recessed. I mean, I. Yeah. yeah, This is on my all-time list of don't need to hear it. Don't need it. And it's not a short song. How long is it? I've, I always find it to be short. It's it's under three. I'm gonna right? clock this at three forty seven without knowing. Let's see if it's <laughs> yeah. Let's do this again because that was fun. Do you have? Doesn't it say on the? You've got your album. Does it say on the uh, the label? Let me see here. It's not on this label. Oh, I'll I'll, I'll look it up on Wikipedia. <laughs> well, well, Wicked, uh, dude. This is not to brag, but this is a special promo edition of the Columbia version of this album. Which in reckless goes for eleven ninety nine. It's two twenty five. It feels way longer. <laughs> Mama, no no tiny boys here taking good care of you, Mama. And he said, "Teddy, no, it it feels like Rocky Raccoon shit himself." Is what the song feels like. <laughs> I love it. This is the story of a boy named Ted. If his mother said, "Ted, be good." She told him tales about a soldier dad, but it made her sad, and she cried, oh my. Ted used to tell her he'd be twice as good, and he knew he could, cause in his head, he said, So let me ask you this. Yeah. Is this your least favorite McCartney song? Uh, is this my least favorite McCartney song? Uh, Through Our Love from Pipes of Peace is one. 
<laughs> Robber's Ball, which was left off of Red Rose Speedway, is another. I mean, I got a few. Let's save my least favorite McCartney songs from the McCartney 2 episode. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you get some. <laughs> but uh, this one, there, there's a And again, for those who don't listen to the show a ton... I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a McCartney apologist. I have three different versions of all my fucking trials. This one can't take it. Zero fabs. <laughs> um, well, then we have the sing-along junk. So another reprise, you know, we're doing, the Beatles have been doing these reprises. George did a reprise. Yeah, I, I mentioned earlier, I think I prefer this version. I do. There's, I like the, the uh, instrumentation on it and... Uh, I know you said like earlier that the lyrics themselves were kind of nonsensical, but to me, you know, it's, it's, it, I always picture it's him and Linda going antiquing or something, you know, and especially. Yeah, that's nonsensical. <laughs> In a way, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're, you're right. right. <laughs> we're, si- we're agreeing with each other, my man. <laughs> you're right. I have since discovered that antiquing is, is. It's what it is. All right. But uh, when I was 18 or what, however old I was when I heard this song, that to me sounded like, oh, I'd like to do that someday when I'm a grown up. I'd like to find a, a beautiful woman and we'll go have a country afternoon. <laughs> so I always like that. Talk about trickle down economics. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Then we're going to stay at grandma's B&B and <laughs> put talcum powder on our <laughs> private parts. <laughs> 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 get hopefully get a UTI from too much talcum powder on our private parts. <laughs> private parts, they're itching you too. <laughs> it's true. Oh, we, we I, I'm weird hell. <laughs> yeah, with a daffy male yinkle yankle. <laughs> the Mister Show. The Mister <laughs> Show. <laughs> Weird Al. I love Mr. <laughs> Show. One of the most, one of my favorite Mr. Show bits ever was Rap the Musical. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that whole thing. Mary Lynn Rice Cub. I rap about this. I rap about that. <laughs> Give me that bass in your face. <laughs> Mr. Show was great. What was the one? They had one of the dumbest, the parody of the burger commercial where they swear in it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Brought to you by Tech Corp. <laughs> Oh, uh, yeah, Globochem. Yeah, yeah, Glo- yeah. Globochem. <laughs> we went to a real Ding Dong Burger to ask real Ding Dong Burger eaters what they think of the new Ding Dong King Kong Sing Song Burger. It's great. It's so big. It's fucking great. <laughs> How about you folks? Yeah. I can feed the whole family for under $20. And with the price of beef going through the fucking roof, that's a deal. Fellas? This cocksucker dragged me down here. I don't know. <laughs> Just eat the fucking thing. Fuck you, asshole. Fuck! This little motherfucker's tasty. Told you, fucking ass. Ding Dong Burgers, a Globochem company. Take it from me. I love you. I I think that after SCTV, every two favorite sketch shows yeah. of 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 Mr. all goddamn time. This is my favorite by far. Uh, Sing Along Junk is like I said. McCartney closed Unplug with this. Um, Unplugged. I guess I should say it wasn't called Unplug. McCartney, by the way, the Unplugged album we have to talk about because that's McCartney at his best and worst. Mm. At, at what Do you know that he flubbed We Can Work It Out and intentionally rehearsed and recorded it with the flub to make it seem like it was real even though it wasn't? <laughs> so, so he goes, yeah, let's yeah. all, we'll just start again, was all bullshit. When I found that out, my heart hurt. 
that it was like a f- he yeah. faked a blooper. And I think and that's I have since forgiven him for that, but I think that's why I was so hard on him in that 90s uh, cuz that's also when he came came across as kind of an asshole on the anthology things by his <laughs> with the boat. He's on a boat <laughs> by by a fire pit. Yeah, the fire like yeah. There was something that was just so um yeah, rehearsed and staged and not authentic and that's, you know, and in the 90s, that's when I, you know, I was a, I was 18 and shit or whatever and wanting that that thing you are before you settle down. You know, you want the real thing. You want. And, and, and I was we've said this in the show before, but I was trying to convince my roommate uh, now the drummer for Explosions in the Sky. Yeah. When he was he was playing me Dinosaur Jr. and Rollins band. I'm like, it's all good. But the off the ground album is Paul's <laughs> return. And he was like, how old are you? <laughs> Yeah, your kids are late for soccer practice, TJ. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I, I understand that Smells Like Teen Spirit is a different song, but have you heard Wine Dark Open Sea? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was I was an asshole. Thank God I'm a liberal because I could have gone either way at the time in the 90s. That's hilarious. Um, I can't see that, but yeah. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I, I would not have. I, I was a uh, 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 city raised kid who whose parents only voted for Democrats. I would never have 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 gone right, down, you're not down the dark side. You're not Alex P. Keaton. No, <laughs> I panicked. I panicked. My son will become Keaton though too. He won't watch Bears games with me. And when the Beatles come on, he goes, "I want to hear my music." And I go, "The Beatles are our music. It's family music." Carrie's like, "My wife's like, it's not working." I'm like, "It will work." <laughs> So, but we get from Sing Along Junk, a beautiful song, to arguably the greatest song Paul McCartney ever wrote. I don't think that's crazy to say that. It's definitely up there. It's a classic. I think it's a great song. I, I'm not going to shit on it, but I, I don't think I, I hold it on as high of a pedestal as, as, as most or others. But I think it's a great song. I think it's the best performance on this record by far. I think it's the only time we actually hear him really perform. Like to do the thing he can do, yeah. Um, I love the message of this song. Basically, that love is going to get him through this dark period, and he's amazed that someone stuck with him through this dark time, and that they're with him on the other side. You know, in this light, and this song is the light. It was recorded at Abbey Road after the spell of Scotland, you know, dreariness and alcohol-drenched depression. Um, yeah, and that life is messy, you know, like as much as we try and control it, and I think that's what Paul was trying to do throughout the Beatles, especially after Epstein died, was to control this thing and make things pretty and make it right and la la la. And 
And when, when it bottomed out and he was truly alone for the first time, Actually, the song's great. And <laughs> <laughs> we've just seen Tony contort himself into calling a classic a classic. <laughs> well, well, my work's done. That worked. I mean, for uh, for me as a piano player for all my life, the chords that open it alone kind of because it starts, it fades up on the. I mean, the intro alone, and then you're in A, and bang, B flat. Yeah. I mean, the the chord progression is just so, like, I always say this is the song that gave Billy Joel his career. Huh. Without yeah. maybe, and for better or for worse, and I love Billy Joel. Like a lot it. of people don't. God bless it. He's, he, had, he had highs and lows like a lot for of sure. other people did. But... The chord progression in this, to me, influenced everything he did. I mean, to go from A to B flat, and this kind of F over A, and then C. I think I fucked up earlier, because he hangs on the C for this chord, right? Yeah, he does, And this right. part, Tony, this part here. It's everything. It's him screaming. It's him pounding. It's him softening. I I I can't say enough. It's it's almost like Fool in the Hill and Lady Madonna had a baby and exploded and had this song. I mean, it it's it, it's rock, it's pop, it's a ballad, it's a standard. It, it, there's everything about the song. It's it's it, it is stunning. By the way, little McCartney discography trivia for you: when McCartney's catalog went to Columbia Records. The version of Maybe I'm Amazed that Columbia released on 45 was this version. So you can find the studio version on 45, but in a rarity that Columbia only had in print for four or five years because the Capitol single version from Wings Over America sold millions of copies. When Columbia got the catalog in 79, they switched over from the live version to the studio one. And it's just cool having the studio version of this on 45. I was about to get into the outtakes, but I forgot about Crean Acrore. Is that how you say that? I've said it Crean Acrore forever. And this is one when when the CD came out in 87 or 88. I'm forgetting the year. Little 13-year-old me tortured my parents with the song. I would blast the song in the house. Really? I thought it was so funny to kind of play this. Because <laughs> it was so random and weird. And it just drumming and panting and cl- i mean yeah this is this is almost like experimental it's a shame it's not what's the word good 
<laughs> it's a shame it's not what's the new Mary Jane. <laughs> she jumps on Peruvian lamb. Good, John. Good. Can you make it eight minutes longer? <laughs> and more nightmarish. <laughs> more slide whistle. Uh, he plays a bow and arrow on this. And I guess he had a, a roaring fire going on in the studio, which doesn't make any sense to me. But uh, yeah, <laughs> that's where they filmed anthology <laughs> McCartney <laughs> and the roaring fire. It's just like, a <laughs> yeah. So I guess this was inspired off of a, an ATV documentary he saw about a tribe in Brazil who uh, they hid from man. And in fact, that's the name of it. The tribe that hides from man. And uh, this song is like a I guess it's like a hunt, perhaps. That's that's the idea of it, but you could read into it and say that like that Paul was running away from the Beatles or something like that. There was something, you know, there's some reason why that documentary about this tribe resonated with him and he recorded this interesting song with a bow and arrow. Yeah, or you could say it fucking and the album maybe I'm amazed. This song sucks. <laughs> I mean, right. I uh, I accidentally almost overlooked it. <laughs> It's 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 my classic joke. Uh, my I, my my friend uh, uh, Mark Caro is a, uh, a writer and wrote for the Trip Forever, and and he he uh, sent me a text. He was like, "Hey, I got the half speed mastered McCartney fiftieth anniversary. Uh, I got two copies. Do you want one?" My my reply was, "Yeah, I really got to hear Karina Crore half speed mastered. <laughs> this album that I own nine other times. Let me spend forty dollars to hear. Ooh, the." Clarity of the pan thing has never been. What did Giles Martin have a hand in this? Like, God bless, but who needs it? This is this album's Oue Le Soleil. I mean, you just don't like. Again, and it's not, it, it, it as part of the picture. Like, I give Paul credit for trying different things, weird things. But as a Paul lover, I'm allowed to kind of call out like, this is. God bless. You don't ever really need to hear this song, except in the context of the album. This is not going on a playlist. Perhaps not. Perhaps not. Uh, but you had fun with it at 13, so it has its merits. I did. Blasting my parents. <laughs> blasting the son of my parents. <laughs> rule growing up where when when i convinced my parents to get me a cd player and for i think hanukkah of 85 maybe the rule was uh because they didn't want to go down the same rabbit hole they went through with records for me for the six seven years before that the rule was only beatles or beatles related releases now they didn't know it was about to go crazy with the cd issues in 87 and 88 and all the <laughs> solo stuff but Right. I didn't. The, my my only CDs up till probably late high school were Beatles and Beatles related. Because that was a deal I made with my parents. I could start buying my own stuff. And this is one that I just it just was so fun to kind of blast. And again, a little trivia: the first two McCartney CDs issued by Capitol uh, of retro albums, because Press to Play was released by Capitol on CD, were McCartney One, not known as McCartney One, McCartney and Ram. And you can find them at every used record store for four ninety nine. If you want to hear the originals, <laughs> right. right? What was the first non Beatles CD you bought? Do you remember? Yeah, I'll tell you. I was without Divinals? shame because I was doing the show. Well, first of all, I do touch myself, but only when I think about you. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was the uh, 
It was because we were doing this play at camp. It was the uh, 1979 Broadway cast revival of Oklahoma. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, the farmer and the cowman should be friends. Come on, y'all. Oh, the farmer and the... (laughs) And that set up a trend. I had... That is so (laughs) you, man. (laughs) That's what I'm saying, right? I mean, the combination... uh, My CD buying in high school and college... I'm the only person in the world who was actively buying every classic rock CD I get my hands on and every old musical I get my hands on. Because I was doing shows at the time. So it was like, yeah, Zeppelin 4 on CD and Derek and the Dominoes, Layla, and Wish You Were Here. Ooh. And the remastered Brigadoon. I was the weird guy at Tower. They're like, what's wrong with this kid? <laughs> I didn't care. You know, why not? Yeah, man. Oh, that's so funny. Yeah, my first CD was uh, Sgt. Pepper. In the Whatever, the 87 one, yeah. Came out June one of eighty seven in honor of the twentieth anniversary. Yeah, the, the it was twenty years ago today. Marketing slogan. So, what's your first non Beatles CD? What what's the first CD you bought? Uh, first non Beatles CD, I think, was the Who's first record, which was would have been the American one, the Who sings My Generation. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure it was that. Yeah. Do you remember the old? Because that was on MCA. You remember yes. the old MCA CDs? The back was like. Yellow and orange with almost like a grib with the song titles in the middle. Like. It was garbage, yeah, and like no liner notes. They were they were dumb. <laughs> well, that's what those first Beatles CDs, which were in print till two thousand nine before the remasters, right? Just had chopped up liner notes as the pages, except except for Sergeant Pepper. Except, it was a yeah. different era. Yeah. So there's a few outtakes. We mentioned one of them already. Uh, starts with suicide. I think we covered that. It's what it is. Not our favorite. <laughs> uh, then we have a bunch of live performances. I think all the live stuff's great. Oh, and then actually there's two versions of Maybe I'm Amazed, right? There's the one that he did from One Hand Clapping, which I th- was a, a TV special. Yeah. I think this version is really great. Out of the two uh, other versions, I, I like this one more. Yeah, the One Hand Clapping stuff is great because it's basically live in studio. And he did that around just after Band on the Run, I think, was when One Hand Clapping was made, or right around that time. So a lot of Band on the have Run stuff as well. Have you seen it? I've never seen it. I have. It was part of the Band on the Run deluxe set. It's interesting. Interesting. I'll send it okay. to you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'd like to see that. Um, yeah, and then we've got we've got some songs from from Glasgow, which was that was seventy nine, I think, right? Yeah. Uh, which is where like the single version of Maybe I'm Amazed comes from, and all that. It's great. Now this would have been the wings, right? This would have been the back back to the egg wings, is that right? It's it's the final wings lineup with Lawrence Juber and Steve Holly. Um, and this would have been a much longer tour had Paul not been arrested for smoking pot, which we'll get into on McCartney too. Yeah, yeah. And um, you know, the death of John Lennon that followed was what officially because uh, Denny Lane, by the way, Denny Lane is in my ears and in my eyes. <laughs> That's what made me laugh that his band, the closest Wings confident was Denny Lane. <laughs> well, you, you couldn't bring in Rawberry Fields? I mean, it's just such a dumb, like... I never even um, thought of that. Oh, that yeah, is it's hilarious. so ridiculous. It just, it's so random. I never thought of that. Denny Lane, who had a huge hit with the Moody Blues, um, we've already said... Goodbye. Remember this one? Since you gotta go, oh, you better go now. That sounds sad. Go now, go now, go. Denny Lane, 
Um, yeah, Deb, it's a hip for he had with the Moody Blues. But um, yeah, it, it's frustrating that the bonus tracks have songs from nine years later. Like, actually, this is one of the first archive collection CDs that came out in 2011. And it really, really frustrated me that the bonus tracks are from nine years later. Like, I know there wasn't a ton of unreleased stuff, but it almost it's almost like ba- the Band on the Run 25th anniversary issue, Tony, when that came out, had like McCartney rehearsing Jet with his 93 touring band. Right. Like, it, it just, it felt incongruous, but there's certainly some spirited versions, the one-hand clapping stuff. Um... You know that the uh, the Glasgow stuff. It shows you how much he loved this album that he was revisiting it many years later. Yeah, and then it ends with a couple other little tunes that didn't make it. I think "Don't Cry, Baby." I have written down another aimless jam. Yes, <laughs> and then "Womankind," which is like him doing like comedy. It's like he's this character that he calls Hank or something at the end. It, like, it ends with, like, flatulence. And the age of ten, you know, that chased my man. Oh, what a crime. Oh, what a crime against women. More flatulence than a Rudy Giuliani press conference. (laughs) 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 But uh, yeah, it's like he's singing about burning, burning your bras. It's it's uh, it's curious. Yeah, I'm glad it didn't. I've never known if it was like a a a skewering Lenin or not. I I wasn't sure if it was kind of like a a skewering Lenin's political activism or not, which he opened his next solo album, Too Many People, with. Skewering John. Yeah, and Yoko to a degree. So as we talk about the 50th anniversary albums, your favorite, Sentimental Journey. (laughs) We... (laughs) <laughs> or Biku, which I never even... I, I, I make fun of Ringo so much. <laughs> I prefer the country record. That's that sappy grandma music. Is sl- I can't even get through it without falling asleep. It's it's pretty hard. Although Ringo recorded it for his mom, I think, which is, yes. which is very sweet. Um, oh, and I've seen the bar in Liverpool where uh, on the cover of Sentimental Journey, have a picture of it. Yes, in, yes, in Liverpool. Yes, it's, was that, that was part of your tour? Yeah, uh, and I remember thinking, like, if they're showing this, have we scraped the bottom <laughs> of the barrel? A little bit, a little bit, but it's cool to see. Here's a Ringo took a dump while recording "Goodnight Vienna." I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'd have a drink in that bar. Yeah, I, I think I couldn't because the Magical Mystery Tour bus was leaving too quickly. Right. Everybody, take pictures and get back on the on the tour bus. Um, but this album, when you think of the three important 50th anniversary solo records from 1970, we have this one came first, then we have All Things Must Pass and Plastic Ono Band. It's not a good look for McCartney historically that this is, from a far distance, the third most important solo Beatles album in 1970. Yeah, but I mean, he made that bed, you know? He forced his hand and and did it, so... That's fine. And again, it is it's a good record. It's a fun record to listen to. But yeah, it it's not as maybe as important, you know, 
if you like your rock and roll to be important, you know. Well, and and even beyond quote unquote important, what he did with Ram the following year, Ram to me is if not his best solo album, one of the best solo albums the Beatle any Beatle ever made. So this album for not being top drawer McCartney is still a really important debut because it's about the only McCartney album where you hear him going through a catharsis of his own and depression and getting over the depression. That's not a hallmark of any other McCartney album. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think if he hadn't disguised it so well, I think, you know, Lennon just put it out there. I think McCartney put it in in his way, which is his way through music. It just happened to be these kind of strange, aimless jams that were maybe a way of him saying, like, I'm finding myself. And then he finally hits on it with, oh, I'm maybe I'm amazed. I'm that guy that wrote Hey Jude. I'm that guy that did Let It Be, you know, among others. <laughs> and yet I go, if I had to make a choice in 2020 or 2005 or 99 or any year, I would always, not a joke, I would choose Wildlife over this record when I want to hear an early McCartney Interesting. album. I mean, Ram above everything, but I, I prefer Wildlife as an album. Maybe I'm Amazed is a better song than anything that that came out in any successive album. It's probably, I think, one of his very best songs ever. But I'd rather hear Some People Never Know over Teddy Boy. <laughs> right, you know, right. I'd, I'd, I'd rather hear Love is Strange over That Will Be Something. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm with you. I like Wildlife. Yeah, I mean, if we're going to exhaust it and if we are going to like rewrite history, maybe I'm amazed, maybe should have been his instant karma. And then Ram should have been his plastic ono. <laughs> wow. Maybe. Yeah, so I guess I guess that makes uh, Monkberry Moon Delight his working class hero. <laughs> <laughs> yes exactly tomato <laughs> it's a great song actually. i do love that song I, yeah. love all around um linda's voice on this album does it bother you and how do you square the shit john and yoko took with paul bringing linda in for harmonies linda's been gone now since what 98 or 99 i believe there's been a critical reassessment over her role in wings and her role by paul's side but how do you square the Paul Linda with the John Yoko thing and all the hate directed toward the latter? Those two. Yeah, I think I think all of it is stupid. I like I've always liked Linda McCartney's voice. I know it's off key at times. Uh, you know, the Stern Show had that isolated mic of hers from that, Hey Jude. Yeah, that was, was hard. It was hard, but it was also it funny. Fair. I mean, it's it's funny. It's what it is, man. Um, you know, the same could be said of they did that with Ricky Martin too. You know. <laughs> And Ricky Lake. <laughs> <laughs> so next week we're going to look at McCartney two. Yes. And the, again, I, I have not. I did not. We were going to do both in one episode. I'm glad. I'm kind of glad we we spread it out because this album is important enough to dissect on its own. But yeah, it turns I out we had a lot to, to say in, about it. Yeah. Who Who knew you and me? <laughs> I can't wait to get into McCartney two though. An album I've not listened to since it was reissued about ten years ago. Um and. Uh, McCartney 2 is, I think, an inferior album to McCartney 1. So we'll see how it holds up when we talk about it next week. And when yeah. McCartney 3 is issued, we're going to record a podcast just about that. Now, what's tricky about McCartney 3, Tony, I'm sure you've been reading this. Mm. He's releasing 
five or six different versions of the album in different colors, and each record has its own bonus track. Which I love you, Paul. I'm the guy who buys everything. (laughs) Yeah, your wife's not going to be offensive. You're going to be in the doghouse all winter, man. Oh oh my God. I mean, boy, it's like an episode of According to Jim. (laughs) The funnier Belushi, Jim. (laughs) Ackroyd, Jim Belushi. That Republican woman from Saturday Night Live. Victoria Jackson. Victoria Jackson. (laughs) Sheila E. (laughs) Sheila E. As Howard Jones. (laughs) Ian Hunter. One of the guys from Emerson Lake and Palmer. Ian Dury. And now, (laughs) Ian Dury. And now, please welcome Billy. Got to pay your dues if you want to sing. That's every Ringo opening. <laughs> Untitled Beatles podcast. Like and subscribe.